Rick is teaching from Ephesians 3, 1 through 8 this morning. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Good morning. Um, Let's pray. God, thank you for the gifts that you've given to us already this morning. Um, Thank you for the insight that you uh, gave to Joe to share with us um, and the sinful stains that are on our hands that you have cleaned by the power of your son Jesus. And thank you for the words that Kelly has just read and the words of the songs we have just sung, Father, to proclaim the truth of who you are. Father, I pray now that you would um, uh, open our eyes to what you're doing in our midst, open your eyes to what you're, our eyes to what you're doing in this church um, as individuals and as a collective, Father, as we seek to, to know you and, and to plant the gospel into our own hearts and to plant the gospel into this church and to plant the gospel into this community. God, I pray that your grace would dwell with us today. Um, thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Uh, as we get started today, I want to lay five statements on us. Um, that kind of provide the, um, well, they're, they're true statements, but they also kind of are kind of providing where the direction of this, uh, these eight verses that Kelly just read are going. First of all, um, and I, I really want you to know this every time you come, and I'd love for you to hear this uh, from somebody, uh, myself or somebody else here at the church, every time you come here. Um, it's very simple, and you expect to hear it at a church but I want you to go beyond your expectations of hearing at a church and understand the, the truthful reality of what I'm about to say to you. All right? You ready? Jesus loves you. Um, and there's like, there's a whole year's worth of sermons in those simple words that Jesus loves you. And we'll get to that at the end when we start talking about the unsearchable riches of the grace of God and those those riches of the grace of Jesus are really given to us because he loves us Um, second piece is Jesus has given you grace whatever you whatever like I love that, that Joe shared what he said about the the stains on his hands, whatever it is that you come here with, whether you are inappropriately arrogant or inappropriately despondent, the grace of God has something to say to you. Um, Jesus has given you 
grace. And then here, like those are, those are two things that are very simple for us to understand, right? Like I haven't invented the wheel for it to say those two things in a, in a church. However, I think that the new thing that Ephesians is bringing to us, the new thing that, that I think this sermon series of us teaching about what Ephesians is, um, is that Jesus has appointed people to teach, show, and point to the gospel. In your world, in your life, Jesus has appointed people in your life to teach you, show you, and point you to the gospel. Um, and, I, and I think you can probably point to individuals who've done that in your life. Um, and then the fourth thing that I want to say takes us even further. And again, we're talking about what it means to be a church. So not only is Jesus given, put people in your life to point you to the gospel, but he's also, Jesus has a plan to use the circumstances of your life to teach, show, and point to the gospel. Like, think about the reality and the weight of that, is that God has a very distinct purpose to show someone in your world the gospel because of you and your life. Lean into who you are. You understand that phrasing, lean into who you are? Consider who you are, where you are, what drives you, what excites you, what doesn't excite you, what repels you. These are the places and the opportunities that Jesus has given to you to, to point to the gospel. Look, there are people in the world, there are people in your world who you have the single unique opportunity to show, teach, and point to the gospel in that person's life. Like, do you, do you walk around your world with that in the front of your consciousness? That Jesus has specifically designed you and specifically manipulated your circumstances to talk to one individual about the grace of God. And then the last thing, Jesus will give you the grace, and by grace I mean what is needed to accomplish the task, to endure difficulty, abound in plenty, or abound in plenty, needed to teach, show, and point to the gospel. And, and I think that one will come to light as we go along. Um, so let those things be in front of you. Jesus loves you. Jesus has given you grace. He's appointed people to teach you, and he's used, he will use you to teach and, and point others to the gospel, and then he will give you grace to do what he's called you to do. Um, there once was a man who um, was born into an affluent family in a large, important and influential, sophisticated culture. So got it? A man, rich family, nice family, in an important city, doing important things. Um, he was immersed in his religion, his parents' religion, and his, like for generations, this family had, had invested its entire being into uh, this religion. This man was a zealot for his religion, like everything about him was about 
learning about his religion and giving himself to this religion. He attended the most prestigious schools, which taught him about his religion and taught him about his faith and taught him about his heritage and his generations. He, was, he went to the most prestigious schools and taught by the most respected teachers. He was involved in the most influential church in his city, and he dedicated his life to fiercely battle those who opposed his religion. You get a picture of who this guy was? Then something happened. This man became convinced that these opponents who he fiercely battled were the ones that were right. He turned his back on the faith of, his, of generations. He turned his back on his privilege. He turned his back on, on his life. He turned his back on his, on his lifestyle. And he began then to live and give his life away for the rest of his life to the people who he had spent his entire life fiercely battling. Do you know who I'm talking about? Paul. I'm talking about Paul. This is who he was. Lived in a life of complete affluence. His entire existence was about learning about this faith from generation to generation that had been passed down to him. And then one day, that all changed. He began to give up his life of privilege and seek after to love the people that he had dedicated his life to destroying for many years. Do you know what happened to Paul to to make that change? He met Jesus. Jesus happened to him. And here's the cool part. I learned this this week. I, I knew it, but I didn't understand the nuance of it. So prior to meeting Jesus, Paul's name was Saul. You know why he was named Saul? Because his family so loved the tradition of Judaism that they revered someone named King Saul. The first king that Israel ever had was Saul. He was strong and powerful and mighty. But he lost it all because of his pride. He couldn't give way to David, so he lost everything that he was. He was consumed with bitterness and rage and envy of, of David, and he lost it all. And do you, here's the, the cool thing. I, I, did, I had graduated from seminary and studied a lot, and I never knew this. Do you guys know what the word, what the name Paul means? It means small. Isn't that cool? So he spends his life as Saul... Big and powerful and smart and affluence and, and strength and power and privilege. Then he meets Jesus, and no longer are you named strong and powerful. You're now named small, and you give your life away. This is incredible, especially given our Americanness and this lust for power and strength and privilege that we all have. Have you read the news lately? We have a lust for power. And here, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament goes from power to small. Let's read verse 1. This is, I'm, I'm really excited about this because I think if we really lean into what Jesus has to say to us today, it will change us. Verse 1 of Philippians 3 says, For this reason I, small, 
a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. First of all, the Gentiles are a group of people that the establishment, the religious generation, holds in contempt and they have for years. Paul, Saul, held a bias against these people. He held these people in contempt. The Gentiles, he held them in contempt. They were different. God did not love them. God did not give up anything for them. They were outside of God and his kingdom. But now, small, can I call him that the rest of the day? Is that all right with you guys? Um, he, I, I won't, I'll, I'll screw it up. I'll call him Paul later. Anyway, so, so now small um, is a prisoner for Christ on behalf of the people that he had a sworn life to battle and make your life miserable. Like, that's crazy to me. And, and look at the notice that Paul calls himself a prisoner for Christ. He sees this hardship as given by Jesus for the sake of Jesus. We are so self-focused that our, the negativity that's in our lives, the, Paul is literally in prison, and, and if we were this, we would be focusing that on ourselves, like, oh, woe is me, poor me. But what, what, is, what does he say? He's excited because he's a prisoner for Christ. Like, so his prisonment is, for, is the design of Jesus for the, the, the love of Jesus. Like, how would we respond? How do we respond when hardship happens to our lives? Who said that? That was really great. Tony, good job. That was a little Eeyore for us. But that's exactly right. Like, it's, it, it all just, everything just extinguishes on ourselves. But what if the hardships that were happening to us had a purpose? And that purpose was to point people to Jesus. That's Paul's, I told you I'd do it. That's Paul's, like, that's his life now. A prisoner for Christ. He's not, a, he's not a prisoner of the Jews. He's not a prisoner of, of people that are stronger than him or better than him. He's not a prisoner of, of the moment. He's not a prisoner of his, of his circumstances. He's a prisoner for Christ. Paul did not allow his circumstances to define him. How often do we allow our circumstances to define us? What did Paul use to define him here? It's not his prisonership. It's Jesus. I'm a prisoner for Christ. Let's try to get ourselves to a place where we could allow Jesus to define us. Let's try to get ourselves, our individualness and our collectiveness, to allow Jesus to define us. Jesus like, 
Brett, your circumstances don't define you. Jesus does. Jen, your circumstances don't define you. Jesus does. Mike, your circumstances don't define you. Jesus does. And Mike, Jen, and Brett, as a collective, Jesus defines you as a collective. And think about that in the context of this individual and collective idea of, of a church. This time, this place, this message to proclaim that this community, Jesus has called us all together and our circumstances don't define us, Jesus does. So whatever, wherever we find ourselves, that is what Christ has given to us as a gift to proclaim this message of the gospel. Um, Paul says something very similar in one of the most famous passages in all of scripture that is probably in, in the top two or three most out of context uh, passages in all of scripture. Philippians 4 12 and 13. Um, I love you, Steph Curry, but that's not what this verse means. Um, Philippians 4, 12. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul is saying, whatever happens to me, Jesus intends for that to happen to me. And thus, I can be happy with my circumstances. Then verse 13 comes, and it doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want to because of Jesus. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All that means is Jesus defines my circumstances. And I can be who God has called me to be in the middle of my circumstances. Paul is a prisoner. He has given up privilege and is under house arrest waiting for his court date. Paul is a prisoner. Verse 2. Paul's not just a prisoner. He's also a steward. Verse 2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. This word stewardship means management and administration of another's property. Management and administration of another's property property. Paul is a steward of grace. Here, Jesus says, hold this for me. I'll be back. Um, every year I play in a golf tournament with a bunch of good friends in Indianapolis. And every year, the night before I leave, Jen bakes a bunch of cookies. And the guys that are part of this, there's 20 guys that play in this tournament and maybe five or six of them live around here. The rest of them live in other, other states way far away. And so um, the only time that they get a Ginny Max cookie is at this golf tournament. And so she loads me up with a whole bunch of cookies and I take them in. And there's three or four guys in particular that are, one's from Kansas City and, and two of them are from Indiana. And like the first time they see me, did you bring the cookies? That's what they, that's all they have. Hey, not hey, miss you, good to see you again. It's did you bring the cookies? And I always make sure when I see them that I, the cookies are closed. And so I give them the cookies. And they're so excited about it. They, they can't wait. Like, they'll send me texts. Hey, don't forget the cookies. I can't wait for the cookies. And stewardship is very similar to that. Like, I am the one who gets to bring these guys the cookies. But I didn't bake the cookies. I don't know how. To, I've tried, by the way, to make the cookies, and I've, I've failed. I'm, I'm terrible at it. Um, but the point is, this is 
assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. It's the same idea. God has given you an incredible gift, and that gift is not intended to exhaust on you. What happens if I eat that entire batch of what is it, what's in a batch, like 30 cookies, something like that? What happens if on the way to Indianapolis, I eat 30 cookies? I fall asleep before I get there, and I'm, I'm like... I'm not going to feel good the whole time. And the people who I'm supposed to be taking their cookies to are probably really mad at me. Because they get to have the cookies once a year. I don't know. Don't, don't, don't chase the, the, like metaphors are designed to fail. Don't chase it to the point where it fails. Um, but the, the idea is that the grace that Christ has given to you has been given to you for yourself, but also for you to give away. And, and the, the absolute 100% truth is that there's someone in your life, somebody in your life who you have a unique opportunity to proclaim Jesus to. Don't eat all the cookies. Thank you, Kathleen. So Paul is a steward, and Paul is a prisoner. Wherever you are, you're there for the sake of the gospel. Skip down to verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles, the ones that Paul was taught from generations to think were outside of the love of God, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul is perhaps annoyingly redundant throughout all of his writings, saying the same things over and over and over again. And he says it here with a slight twist. He says, No matter who I am, no matter who you are, no matter who we are, where we've come from or what we've done, we are thoroughly and completely dependent upon the gospel of grace. No matter who you are or who we are, individually and collectively, no matter who we are, we are thoroughly and utterly dependent on the gospel of grace. So I I really, this is where I've been driving at for a while, probably throughout this entire series, and this is sermon number eight. Who is our Gentiles? Who does the church say, you're outside? God doesn't love you. The mystery of the gospel of grace that God has given to you is to proclaim that gospel to those people. Outside, like, we are thoroughly and completely dependent upon the gospel of grace. And so is everybody that we've ever talked to. And I think if we are to follow the example of of 
Paul here. We give up privilege to proclaim the gospel of grace to those that the establishment has left behind. And I don't know what that looks like or how that looks. And I know that that's hard. Verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. Minister here means a servant charged with a certain area of responsibility. In this case, God's grace. So of this gospel, I was made a servant charged with giving away God's grace. Like this, stop and, and, and take your temperature. To whom did you, your, your life, your words, your actions, or even worse yet, your thoughts... To whom did you, were you a minister, a servant charged with giving something away? To whom did you give God's grace this week? Verse 8. This is an incredible verse. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. And Paul uses that phrase a lot, the very least of these. He uses that phrase two or three times in Scripture. Here, in this context, he's not talking about the sinful nature that's within his heart. He's talking about a very specific pattern of his life where his job, literally his job, was to go and make life miserable for Christians. And now here he is, the minister to Christians. That's where he's talking about, to me, I'm the very least. Of all the people that should be having this position, Paul is the worst because his job, his vision, his life, his privilege was tied up in making life miserable for Christians. Now his job is to preach to those outside of the church the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is interesting because unsearchable, I, I spent a lot of time this week trying to find a way to articulate to you what the riches of Christ are. Went to different websites, uh, I read commentaries, I prayed, I thought, I journaled, I listened to other guys' sermons to try to just encapsulate what the riches of Christ are. And then, some point Friday afternoon, I decided to do a word study on the word unsearchable, which is what precedes the riches of Christ. How unsearchable the riches of Christ are. Do you know what unsearchable means? You can't search it. So I spent all this time trying to figure out the riches of Christ. And it's unsearchable. Even Google can't search it. Man, I thought that was funnier than, than that response. But that's, 
the glory of Christ, the brilliance of, of the history of mankind is not capable. And, and so there, there's a little bit more depth to just unsearchable. It really is a term of measure. The other, other translations call this unfathomable. Do you guys know what a fathom is? It's a, it's a uh, like people, uh, oceanographers will fathom the depths of the sea. So this point in the water, it's this deep. And that point in the water, it's that deep. And that point in the water, so it's, it's under, it's, Mapping out the depth of ocean. Christ, the riches of Christ, are not capable of being fathomed. We're not able to understand how deep the riches of Christ go. That, thank you, Sheridan, for that smile. That makes me smile. Like, it's incredible. What God has given to you in Jesus through his grace, no one in the history of the world has been able to get to the bottom of how incredible that is. There's a phrase that, um, and and I don't know exactly the, the, the exact way to put this phrase, but ultimately it's like it's putting something on the bottom shelf you ever heard that phrase before? Like this is something is, is too high for you to reach. It's putting something on, on the bottom shelf. And like this is the riches of Christ have been placed in the way, in the, in the place where you can interact with them. His grace, his love, his mercy, his joy. Um, so I, I want to I read something over you in light of trying to search the depths of the riches of Christ. Your purpose, your joy, your life, your peace, your satisfaction, your enthrallment, your hope, your love, your contentment, they all find their fullness in Christ alone. Purpose, joy, life, peace, satisfaction, enthrallment, hope, love, contentment, all find their fullness in Christ. Your natural longing to be happy finds its fruition in Jesus. Your natural longing to love and be loved is complete in Christ. Your satisfied contentment finds its fullness in Jesus. And all of that are man's futile attempt to search the riches of Christ. They're deeper than anything you could ever even poetically speak or think. He brings grace to the place you interact with it. He puts love in a place where you can interact with it. Jesus loves you. Like a sweet, gentle, perfect dad, he loves you. 
He is perfect in every way. And he loves you. And that notion of his love for you are unsearchable riches. God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the unsearchable riches that you've given to each of us because of who he is. And Lord, I pray now in these moments that you would give us time to pause and search your riches. And God, I pray that these moments of intimacy with you would, would send us from this place like Paul on a mission to proclaim the gospel of grace to those places that you've given us to speak, Father. God, allow us, give us opportunity to speak to those in the margins to proclaim your gospel of grace. And God, give us a humility. Give us a smallness that you gave to Paul to speak with, with bleeding hearts and open hands and a burning love for people. God, I pray for in this church that you would open our hands and pierce our hearts that we might love one another well and that we might see your son as good and glorious. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his precious name that I pray.